0: Thank you, worship team, very much. What a blessing. You're also gifted in music, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Church, will you bow with me as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word? Father, I pray that you would do just that, that you would prepare our hearts to hear from your word. Lord, your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Lord Jesus, you said that your words are spirit in their life. Lord, you inspired the Apostle Paul to write and to tell us all the truth that all Scripture is breathed out, inspired by God, and is profitable. So Father, I pray that you would please give us the grace to profit from this word this morning. The truth is none of us will go out of this room unchanged after we are exposed To the truth, no one goes away from the word of God unchanged. We will be either further softened and further drawn to you because of our belief in it and our willingness to obey it, or we will be further hardened in our disbelief of it and refusal to walk in it. But Father, of course, I pray for the former and not the latter. Please, Lord, be drawing us to yourself, helping us to be more like Jesus Christ, and it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Ruth chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning, and I want to start off by saying this phrase, which I hope is gripping. Being a true follower of God, being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, will mean that you will have to be counter cultural. Bring a true fo- Godfather, bring a true disciple of Jesus Christ, will mean that you have to be counter cultural. History is proven, scripture is shown, Jesus himself has made clear that the majority of mankind listen to what I'm saying the majority of mankind will remain unsaved. And that's just the truth. It's an unfortunate truth, but it's just the truth. It's not the way I want it, but it's just the way it's going to be. Do you know why I know that? Because Jesus said this, enter by the narrow gate. Why, Jesus, tell us. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And he says this, the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Unfortunately, it has just always been that way. History has shown us that. Like I said earlier, Scripture has also made that clear too. Think about Noah and the ark. How many people were on the boat? Eight. How many people perished? Every other human on planet Earth So what I said is true. Being a true follower of God, being a true disciple of Jesus Christ will mean that you will have to be counter-cultural. This is the truth, and this means that the culture will always be largely worldly, and therefore will always be largely either ones who ignore God or are just blatantly anti-God. That's what it means to be worldly. Either ignore God and His truth, or you're just anti-God and His truth. I wanna make the argument that God followers, disciples of Jesus, are the ones whom God, because they're countercultural, these are the ones he uses to continue to pass his promises on through history and into the world. That's why I've titled the message this morning, God's promises pass through God's people, but how? God's promises pass through God's people. Okay, that's a great truth, but how? How do they pass? And that's what I really want to bring out today as we continue to look on in the book of Ruth today because we're introduced to the third main character of this book today, the gentleman Boaz. We're going to see that Boaz was counter-cultural in his day. He was different than most other Jews around him. If you were here last week, you saw the example that I pointed out that the book of Ruth is like a water lily. Water lilies can grow up and they're a beautiful flower. They usually grow up in very swampy, nasty water though. They're this beautiful phenomenon. You can look at this nasty body of water. You would not want to swim in it. You wouldn't even want to wade through it. And there can be water lilies growing up in it. And that's what the book of Ruth is like. Why? Because the book of Ruth, as we're told in the first seven words of the book, in the days when the judges ruled. So Ruth happens. Ruth happens during the time of the judges. We've just come out of the judges. It was a sad time. It was a dark time. And it's so nice to have this just cool drink of water in the book of Ruth now to look at people who are committed to following the ways of the Lord. So let's get right into it then because chapter two tells us this. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So here we're Back with Ruth and Naomi again. Remember, chapter 1 started out bleak, sad, even, you might say, bad for them. Naomi is the mother-in-law. Her husband dies in this foreign land. Why are they even there? Because of a famine. Bad situation, got them there. Then while they're there, her husband dies. Then she gets these beautiful daughters-in-law, two of them. Their husbands die. It's a sad time. we're setting up this book to show how God brings something very wonderful in keeping his promises all through this. And I want to say that the the sign of a good student is that he's always thinking ahead. And Butch brought out Kinsman Redeemer, which will come next week. (laughs) Always thinking ahead. He is introduced this week But we don't get that fact yet. Exactly, we sort of do. That he's this kinsman redeemer, but it really comes out strong in chapter 3, for sure. Let's go ahead and talk about him. Verse 1 calls him worthy. Look at that. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elim. The Hebrew word usually means like an outstanding fighter. When this Hebrew word is usually used, that's what it means, an outstanding fighter. However, it can mean and in here the context is made more clear, it means someone powerful and important in society. That's what it means here for Boaz. He was a powerful man and important in society, probably wealthy. And how did he get to that state? God's hand of blessing was upon him as we're going to later See, so we're set up. Now, get this. The narrator tells us in verse 1 that he is this uh, relative. We don't get that yet until later in the chapter, though. But we, I mean, Ruth is not told this until later, but but we get it just to kind of set things up because God's providential hand is working through all this. Naomi only sees bitterness. Remember, that's where we ended last week. She only sees her circumstances as bad, bitter, dark, bleak, horrible. She feels like God's against her even. What she doesn't realize is God is setting up everything to show that he is going to include her, Ruth, and Boaz in a promise that he made hundreds of years before this. A wonderful promise that actually we, you even getting to experience the blessings of. A promise that God made to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. In fact, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. We don't get the answer to that yet, but towards the end, once we get closer to Christmas, we'll see. But things are getting set up. Things are getting set up more and more. God's providential hand is in all this. And I want to point out something really great about Ruth. Notice this in Ruth chapter two. We already know some wonderful things. She's extremely loyal. What does she say to her mother-in-law in the last chapter? Where you go, I'll go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And only death will separate us. Wow, what a what an intense, strong, promise to say from a young lady. Is she going to be faithful to carry it out? Indeed she is. That's what we're going to see in this chapter. Worthy to be emulated. Worthy to be mimicked. But let's see. Let's just see for ourselves. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, this is verse two, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I found favor. Basically, let me just go try to get something for us. Whoever will show Favor to me, let let me go do that. And Naomi says, Sure, go for it. Now, what I love about this is notice this about Ruth. She's submissive to Naomi. Did you notice that? Let me do this. I love that about her. She's submissive to her. She's showing that she's a woman of character. And then she says, Let me do it in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, in her state, she's a widow. What is more? She's a widow living with another widow. That's a, bad, that's a bad state to be in back in that day, okay? Not a lot of uh, women's in that day aspiring to be doctors like one in our, in our midst right here. It was not that way in that society. So not only was she a widow, she was a widow living with a widow. Neither one of them had support. They were dependent upon the kindness of others. You'll see God's grace and provision best when you become dependent upon him, and that's the truth. Some of us in here have lived long enough, and we've gone through enough life circumstances. We've come to states in our life where we were very dependent upon God, and if you've been a Christian while you were in that state, you know that God shined very brightly during that time, didn't he? When you were very, very dependent upon God, and you had no other hope for anything else. That's usually when you see God the best, and when you learn the most about Him being a God who you know can meet your needs. We've seen that time and time again in our marriage. Um, he's been very faithful to meet our needs when we thought things were very, very bleak. And I've got, I could share a lot of stories. You'll see God's grace and provision best when you become dependent upon him. And that's what state she was in. Now, I love this part, how verse uh, 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It just so happened. I love that. It just so happened, number one, to be the time of harvest. It just so happened. Remember, they just arrived in Bethlehem. And it just so happens to be the time of harvest. And she just so happens to find favor to glean at the first field she comes upon. And it just so happens to be the field that belongs to Boaz, this relative of Ruth's deceased father in law. Far too many coincidences. Stacked up upon one another here. This is nothing but the sovereign hand of the Lord at work behind the scenes, moving and orchestrating Ruth's steps and circumstances. That's what we're supposed to see in this book. It's a beautiful book. I love this book because we see God working and doing everything. Not a moment of this was outside of the sovereign control of the Almighty. Not a moment. RC Sproul once said if there is one rogue molecule that's outside of God's sovereign control then he's not sovereign. Even the electrons spinning around the atoms are finding their course because God is moving them to do it. Everything it's orchestrated by the hand of God. And that's what we see here. She just so happens to find this field. It just so happens to be Boaz's. What do you know? I had a professor in a seminary, um, Donald Whitney, and he had a friend once that said to him, well, don't you think that, you know, maybe these things that are happening are just coincidences and in your life? And Because he was sharing some things with him, He said, well, if they are, what I found is there's a lot more coincidences happening in my life when I pray to God. <laughs> God orchestrates our steps. Look at this, verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. So here we have a man using greetings with the name of Yahweh within them. I like him already. They answered. The Lord bless you. Just a familiar way to greet one another in that day among true God followers. Then Boaz said to the young men who were in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? She's a woman in the field he doesn't recognize. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reaper. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now what's interesting is this. I've shared with you before that in the law of God, specifically in the book of Leviticus, God made provisions in the law for the poor, widows, orphans. He made provisions for them to get food. People who were... um, Gathering crops were not supposed to gather the very edges of the field. These were to be left. People who had vineyards were supposed to leave a little bit on the very edges of the field, too, of the grapes. The poor, widows, orphans were allowed to go and get these. According to the law of God, they could do this. What I love, though, is she doesn't take that as a right. She asked if she could glean here. She asked for permission. It was a right. Of hers, but still she asked for permission. That's why it says in verse seven when he's reporting this, she said, Please let me glean, even though she had every right to do so. She's humble. I like her. And she's been doing this from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She is a worker, she's not just sitting back and saying, Hey, get that for me, you. Get that for me. I don't feel like getting it. Now she's been working all day. She realizes, my mother-in-law, Naomi, is in a bad state. I'm going to bless her. I'm going to get out here, and I'm going to provide enough for both of us. Don't you love that? When people in the body come alongside you when you're hurting and help you. We're supposed to help each other. Iron sharpens iron, so when man sharpens another, don't you love it when people come beside you? Like I told you last week, we're all under-encouraged. Don't you love when someone comes alongside you when you're hurting and says, let me help you? And that's what we see Ruth doing. Wonderful woman, very loyal. Very loyal. I want to also point out something, and you might not even pick up on this, but I, I picked up on it. I like the men that... Um, Boaz has employed here. Uh, I picked up on something that this man said, and it, it, it made me realize that this man is um, one of the men like I like to encounter. He's very committed to the truth. He adds a detail he didn't have to add, but I've met people like this. Look at this in verse 7. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers." So she came And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Why did he feel like he had to add she she took a short rest? Why did he feel like she had to add, but she took a small break? I'll tell you why I think. I think because he's a truthful man. He mentions Ruth's short break, even though it wasn't necessary. He's a man of conscience. I've met people like this. They feel like every... Everything that comes out of my mouth needs to be based on the truth. I can't rest right unless I know that I've shared all the truth. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean, let me just explain it this way. I can tell when I'm speaking to someone whose conscience affects his speech. That's what I mean. And his speech shows that he's a man who believes truth is important. Like, if I was sharing something with you and said, yeah, I've been working all day. Well, if I took a break, I would feel the need to say, well, I did actually take a break. But I mean, but I have been working all day. I don't want to be untruthful in any way. Like, I feel like my words are important because truth's important. And God's brought us his truth in the form of what? Words, right? So words are important and our words are important. And this man, I like him. I like who Boaz is hiring. This man has a conscience. He feels like, you know, I I need to be truthful in everything I say. She's been working all day up until now. Well, she did take a short break. But she's been working all day. Why are you laboring that, Cohen? I'm laboring that to say that I like people whose consciences are affected by the fact that they believe there's such a thing as truth and that truth is important. And I like this guy too. I like Boaz so far. I like Ruth so far. I even like Boaz's employees. (laughs) Character is just oozing out of these people so far. We did not see a lot of that in Judges now we're getting an overabundance of it. We're supposed to see that. It's this lily growing up in the swamp. And I love it. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. It's just like a term of endearment, okay? Do not go glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young man not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessel that they drink out of, that the men have drawn, verse 10. Well, let me just stop there before we go on, because her response is quite unique too. Boaz is showing himself to be over and above what other men were. He makes choices based on the truth of the word of God. He knows it's good to be kind to those who are poor, widows, but he also is seeing something very special in this woman that makes him want to bless her over and above what he might do for someone else. He hears her story. He learns from this man who she is and what she's done. Remember, there were two young ladies with Naomi, two daughters-in-law. One stuck with her, one went back. Was the one who went back evil and bad? No. But Naomi says, you know, go back. Stay in your home land here. Marry someone from here. Be close to your family. Orpah says, that sounds logical. I'm a young lady after all. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I love you. Bye. She kisses her and she leaves. But Ruth shows herself to be quite exceptional. She attaches herself to a Jewish lady and says, no, I'm going to go back with you to your Jewish land and I'm going to worship your Jewish God and I'm going to be with you. Always. Nothing but death will ever separate us. Boaz is taken aback by this loyalty. 20 something year old, more than likely, sticking with this older lady and says, I'm going to stick with you. Your God's going to be my God. He's taken aback by this and he wants to bless her. He wants to say, No, you stay here. You make sure that you only stay in this field. And you get to drink from their vessel and they know not to touch you, you're going to be safe here. So what do we see about Boaz so far? Let me point out some some things that I believe why God continues to pass his promise through the time and through the world through Boaz. These characteristics, because of what Boaz possesses and because of what Boaz offers. I've got a slide for this here so that you guys can not forget it. Boaz possesses character and compassion Boaz offers provision and protection, but why? Why is he so different from everybody else that we've seen? Why is he so different from all the other Jewish men that we've learned about, it seems, during the time of the judges? Because he's committed to obeying the word of God. That's what makes him different from all of the other ones is he's committed to obeying the word of God. In the word of God, he knows in the law, you're supposed to care for these who can't care for themselves. And you're supposed to protect them. He says, Stay in my field. Don't want you to get hurt by anyone else. You stay here. And compassion coming out of him because God's a compassionate God. Look at this in verse 10. Then she fell on her face. Picture this. Because you've never done this when someone was kind to you. When someone was extremely kind to you, did you fall on the ground in front of them? No. You have not ever done that. I haven't either. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground, said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Do you see how desperate she knew her state was? If you had ever been in such great, great need in such a desperate, bleak state as she had been, and then somebody came along and offered you provision, protection, compassion, you may have acted like her. This shows just how bleak and desperate and dark and sad her situation was. That when somebody does come along and say, I'm going to be extremely kind to you, that's her reaction. She falls on her face. One reason Boaz is acting like this is because this is how God acts, right? Isn't this how God acts? She says, Why are you showing such compassion to me, a foreigner? We're all foreigners when it comes to God's family. Do you know why? We don't belong in God's family. We broke that separation in the garden with our sin. I mean, we—I'm sorry—we we caused that separation in the garden with our sin. Our first parents did. And you say, "Wait, wait, wait a second. You say, "In this we business, I wasn't in the garden." No, you weren't. That's true. But you've sinned, and you've sinned because you're a sinner. That's who, you, that's who we are. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We don't belong in the family of God. Everyone in hell deserves to be there. They've all gotten themselves there because of their sin. No one in heaven deserves to be there. True? That's what I mean. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Boaz is showing great compassion and kindness just like God the Father does to us. And God's people will possess characteristics of God because they possess the Spirit of God. Boaz is acting like this because he's being moved by the Spirit. He's being led by the Scriptures to act like this. And how does God show compassion to foreigners like us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ? He reached down to us and sent to us the compassion that we needed because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve his compassion. We've spit in his face time and time again with our sins, and that's just the truth. Every sin we've ever committed was because we wanted to do it. And that's just the ugly truth of it. No one sins on accident. <laughs> and God sent his son Jesus Christ who perfectly kept the law on our behalf. We're lawbreakers, he's the law keeper. And he took the punishment that should have been ours. We deserved that punishment. He didn't, yet he took it. Here's a law keeper being punished as if he's a law breaker. And he took the wrath of Almighty God upon himself when he died on the cross, shed his blood, and was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, showing that the price was paid. The price for the people had been paid. And now all those who will repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved, will be saved. That's good news. That is the best news you'll hear all day. It's such good news. It's called the good news. So here Boaz is acting like God because this is how God acts. A beautiful contrast to the shameful way we saw many of the judges acting. Think of the Shameful end that Samson came to. Think of the judge that sacrificed his daughter. Remember that? What a beautiful contrast we're getting right here. Someone acts like this while other people are acting like that. These are the type of people that God's promises pass through because they're walking in obedience to the word of God. That's why we see power in their lives. Look what verse 11 says Boaz answered her, All you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you do not know. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He is recognizing something that's true in her life. He's saying, you're acting this way because you've taken refuge under the Lord's wings. Godly people will act like God. We'll see characteristics about God in godly people. We'll recognize it in one another. Then she said, this is verse 13, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. Then verses 14 through 16, he invites her to eat at the table with him. Also a great example of Jesus Christ. The meal that we'll have with him, the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven. Again, we're foreigners. We don't deserve to be at that table, but we're there because of someone showing kindness to us reaching out to us in our, state, in our state that was bleak. And he lets her eat there. And then he gives her so much. Look at this, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, all day long. And she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And I had to look at that. I don't know what an ephah is. I haven't gone to the store recently and said, I'd like an ephah, please, of, of, of grain. So I had to look it up. 22 liters, and if these liters are the same as liquid liters, then think about two-liter Cokes, okay? Fill those up with grain. You got 11 of them because there's two liters. 11 times two is 22. That's a lot of grain that he let her take with her that day and made sure she got the good stuff too. He didn't just let her get the stuff that was left over. He said, you can go among the sheaves and get some there too. So she goes back. Look at verse 18, she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied because remember, Boaz lets her eat at the table. She doesn't eat everything he gives her. He gives her an abundance, so she takes them home with her. She's also frugal. People are, you become frugal when you get poor. We were so poor once, we couldn't even afford the other OR. We were just poe. It makes you frugal. And her mother-in-law said to her, where'd you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Yes, indeed. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, the man's name whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi perks up at that. She says, you don't say. Boaz? Boaz? Look at verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all the harvest, which by the way, if I'm not mistaken, would have been two months still of harvesting. So that's... Wonderful for these widows to know for two months. We're taking care of her for two months. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest in any other field you might be assaulted. She kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley harvest, the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So again, loyalty, blessing, kindness, compassion, all coming to her. God setting up the stage for something that's going to come, which we're going to see in chapter 3. And then, ooh, wonderful, chapter 4 but what do we see here? God's promises. God's promises to bless the world through a descendant of Abraham are going to happen, but how are they happening? They're happening through people who are faithful to live according to what the Word of God says, and that's key. That's key, because don't you want to be one of the conduits through which God's blessing can pass? Don't you want that? If you're allowed to live to an old age, I guarantee you, you will not be thinking right before your death, boy, I'm sure glad I had this car and these clothes, that blouse, that that necklace. Oh, and you know what? That time I had... You won't be thinking about any of that. You won't be thinking, oh, it's so wonderful. I had this thing at that time, this material thing. What you will be thankful for, Christian, is I'm so thankful. I walked according to God's word, and he used me to be a blessing to so many people and make change and leave a legacy. That's what you'll be thankful for. You won't care about anything else, especially three seconds after you're dead. (laughs) You won't care about anything but that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There are promises that God's made to us too that we can be the conduit through which they pass to others. Did you know that? We can be like Boaz, like Ruth, like Naomi, but they're only going to pass through us if we're living in obedience to the word of God, if we're living according to God's ways. What's one promise that can pass through us too? Well, listen to this. It won't sound like it at first, but listen. I don't know if you've heard this one before, maybe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me ask you this. How does God get the news of this son coming? How does he get it out to the world? Does he rip open the heavens Every 30 days or so and do it himself? No, he uses us. That's the means by which he's chosen to work. I wouldn't have chosen those means, okay? Because I know humans and I know Cohen really well too. I would have chosen different means. But God's all wise and he's chosen to use his people. These vessels, just vessels of clay, which are holding a precious, precious gift. And we're to give it out to people. That's how people are going to hear about this Jesus. And that's how they're going to believe is if we tell them. And if we're obedient to the word of God and give the truth out, guess what? Some people are going to believe and have eternal life. Every single one of you in here who is saved, someone shared the truth with you so that you could be saved. I'm not saying those people saved you. The Holy Spirit saves you. But the message, that's our portion to give it out to others, right? How about this one, John 8, 36? So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's a a promise. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Well, how are you even going to hear about the Son so that you can believe in the Son, so that you can be set free by the Son? We've got to share the message. We've got to give it to people. We have to be that conduit of blessing through which it comes to others. What about Romans 8:28? Again, not sure if you've heard this one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, this is very conditional. It doesn't say, and we know all things work together for good for people who really, really hope that it will. It doesn't say that. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. So this is very conditional. You can't love God unless you know God. You can't know God unless you hear about God. You're not going to hear about God unless someone tells you about that God. Someone in some way, somehow and listen, just like my old pastor told me once, he said, even if all you can do is stand there slobbering on yourself in fear, handing somebody a gospel track, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough, which was encouraging for me back then because all I could do was stand there and slobber on myself in fear and hand people a gospel track. <laughs> but I grew and I realized, you know what? People that disagree with me about Jesus, they don't then turn around and stab me they just make fun of me and then I move on and I still live but for some reason in your head you think I'm gonna die they're going to stab me but then you realize no it's it's not that bad and once you get rejected a few times you get thicker skin you have to be a counter cultural conduit for God's blessing to pass through you listen no one's gonna persecute you for not stealing, not lying, not committing adultery, and not coveting. No one's going to persecute you for that, okay? Christians will be the best citizens and the best employees. They should be. But also as a Christian, you will get persecuted though, not just for living how you're supposed to live, but also by... Believing what God's word says about what sin is. You will get persecuted for saying murder is wrong. The masses will agree with you about that. But then when you say, no, 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 all murder. Murdering little babies in the womb too. That's also a sin. No one's going to be angry at you if you say adultery is wrong. But... The masses will stone you if you say, but I, But the word of God also says all sex outside of marriage is wrong. Homosexual sex too. You will get punished for that, won't you? So you will have to be a counter-cultural Christian in order to be that conduit of blessing and promise to keep coming through the rest of the world You will have to be. Will it mean that you're disliked? Absolutely. Will it mean that even some of you might even lose your job? Probably. I know a few people in this room, I think, well, Jeff Berry's not here. I know he lost his job because he refused to lie. We've lost a job once because we were honest. And I've left a job because I refuse to be dishonest. You're going to lose friends, you're going to lose job. The world will hate you. You'll probably get paid less. All kinds of things. (laughs) But if God is pleased with you, it doesn't matter who you displease, does it? And if all men are pleased with you, but God is displeased with you, hmm, you don't want that either. Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. I used to really be confused by that. And I'm almost done, guys. Okay. I used to be very confused by that. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. I thought, well are but if I'm a Christian and I'm nice, people people are gonna like me. Yes, for some things, but not others. Listen. If they hated Jesus. Right. Only countercultural Christians will be the conduit through which God's promises and blessing pass. And that's how it's going to happen. Those who are true to the word of God and who know they have a conscience to walk according to this truth, because unless you're totally, fully convinced of this truth, when you start losing friends and losing jobs and losing money and all that, you'll throw this away real quick. You'll show yourself to be the seed that fell on the rocky ground. When the persecutions came, withered up because they had no root and that's not what I want for you. Thankfully, we're gonna see Boaz, Ruth are this conduit for God's promises that will be fulfilled as we get closer to Christmas, this promised Messiah to bless the world. He's coming, he's coming, let's pray. Father, I pray thanking you that you have your remnant, your faithful people who have had a conscience to stick true to the word of God even when the culture around them was so contrary to that truth. And it's because of your spirit working within them. So I pray that your spirit would work within us. Lord, please strengthen us. Please help us and please convict us in areas where we need to be changed or corrected or helped or made stronger. Lord, help us to be more like your dear son. Lord, we thank you that you sent him. We want to be like him. And we love him. We pray this in his name. Amen.